Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange yet again. And we have a longtime friend and colleague, Steve Brightman, uh, on the interview today. And Steve is your quintessential financial CFO, CPA person. Very, his, his first time we met, you came to a meal table, and I was trying to get people jazzed up and excited about their elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. And um, you were very matter of fact and very systematic. And I said, well, knowing that you're CPA, I would not expect my CPA to be gregarious. I would expect you to be very, you remember that time? I do. Yeah. It's been a long time. It's been I, quite a few years, but Stephen, I'm Burned in my memory. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so you represent your brand, careful and meticulous. And, and I appreciate knowing you and on projects that we've been on together. Uh, you have a huge amount of value. So we're talking today about nonprofits making a profit. Who would have thought? Before we get to that, that's an intriguing topic. Before we get to that, Steve Brightman, Tell people a little bit about yourself. That's a good question. You know, my uh, I've kind of had a journey in my career. I've done lots of different things. And, um, you know, I started out as, I guess, what you'd call a traditional accountant. You know, I, after I got out of college, I, I became an auditor. And I worked for uh, accounting firms for well, you know, somewhere between three and four years. And and that kind of gave me a really good, solid base that every accountant wants to have, you know, the basic knowledge and how you do things and understanding of the rules and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then I took a different turn. And I, I had a variety of different um, positions. Some of them were financial, where I was a CEO for, I'm sorry, a, a, a controller and a CFO for companies. I was actually a CFO for two or three different companies. Um, but I was also a CEO. I actually ran some businesses. And at one point, I had 175 people I was uh, uh, responsible for. And it was actually that, that experience that kind of made me feel, I don't know what you want to say, born again, maybe. I don't know. It, it taught me how business really works. Because... I had to do the marketing and the sales and working with people and creating strategy. And so that lesson showed me, it gave me the ability to to help people understand not just what their bottom line is, but why, and then to show them how to use that information to grow their business. So that's kind of how I came to where I am today, a few bumps along the road in between and um, now I have Mindful Business Solutions, where I help uh, small and medium-sized businesses and nonprofits, um, you know, grow their business and understand, get clarity in their numbers, and uh, help them to to grow their businesses. I find that, um, I, and I'm, I'm going to just group us all under the term or category of social entrepreneur. And we're all changing the world, whether we're business running a business or we're running a so-called nonprofit. Now that that word is is problematic. And um, you're talking about making a profit, and people say to me all the time, people that have been working in an organization for a long time, well, you're not supposed to make a profit. So sort of we we hear this word nonprofit and we put on our dumb hat. Right. So speak to the issue of. Why do we need to make a profit? And is that, is that breaking the law? That's a good question. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So, you know, profits, basically it just means that you're making extra money. more. You're bringing in more money than you have to pay out to cover your expenses. And it's that difference, that profit, that businesses, including nonprofits, need to pay their employees raises, 
to buy important equipment, um, to start new programs, to, you know, co um, costs go up from year to year. So a little more that goes to paying extra costs. Um, and it's also important to be able to put some money away for a rainy day. Um, you know, nonprofits, just like for-profits, are subject to the economy. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes people want to donate a lot of money. Sometimes they don't. And so it's important to have some money put away for the, the rainy day to, to cover the times when, you know, the, the, the money coming in isn't as, as good. So, you know, that's, that's how non, and, and the main difference between, you know, profit to me is not a, a, a bad word, especially when it comes to nonprofits, because the main, one of the main differences between nonprofits and profits is that that money is used to build a sustainable um, business, a stable business that can actually carry out your mission for for years to come um, but because a lot because nonprofits are mission based sometimes um, the word profit kind of gets a not a uh, bad connotation because we get we get in the image in our head of profits taking advantage of people to make money and that's not the case with nonprofits um, it's a yeah. it's a social social yeah. social benefit organization, right? And one of the guests we had has a for profit company, and he said, "Well, this is a for purpose organization." Exactly. And and we're purpose driven. We're 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 creating impact results in people's lives, and the lifeblood of any organization is the cash flow. And having more left over is what we term profit. And, and there might be a better word in, the, in our sector, you know, excess revenue. In, in the business world, the, the excess profit is distributed for personal gain as dividends, you know, as, as distributed revenue. We don't do that in a 501c3. That's not legal. Um, That's right. The salaries and expenses and uh, continuing education. We can support our people. We can market it. Well, there's a lot of the things that we do in business that we think we're not supposed to do in a 501c3, but we have a lot of standard uh, best practices for running an organization. And, exactly. And so, and really, there's more rules in the nonprofit than there are in a business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, one of the great advantages of being a nonprofit is that you're not subject to income tax. You don't have to pay federal income tax. You don't have to pay state income tax. And the reason, because nonprofits are there to do, to make good in the world, to make the world a better place. And so that's, that's the, one of the rewards of, of, of having a nonprofit. And what's so great about that is it's like getting free money. Um, it, it, and money that you can use to put towards your programs to to start a new program you know whatever it is that your your nonprofits about that's that's really important and you know one thing I forgot to mention earlier too <clears throat> nonprofits because because they are um, uh, cause based Everybody wants their cause to, to, to make a difference and to last a long time. Um, and in order to do that, you have to build a stable, um, growing organization, uh, something that's going to last a long time. And so part of that, creating that, that stable base is a financial thing. So being able to, to build a business that has the the money to be able to, to, to grow, to withstand hard times, that's an important piece of it. And so, you know, going back to this profit, that's part of what the profits are used to do is to build that base for you so that you can be around for as long as you want to be around, as long as you're needed. Well, let's talk about some of the um, mechanisms 
that are needed to make really good financial decisions. Mm -hmm. Now, we get a printout and we get a P&L and it looks like we got money left over, that's all we need to know. Um, so this, there's a mystery to understanding the numbers. Instead of going into a deep lesson on ratios and, mm -hmm. and balance sheet, profit and loss, cash flow statements, um, talk about the importance of having someone like you a, as a consultant and advisor to the company that gets paid, which um, that means that disqualifies you from being a board member, but you're, you're a contract person who would be the external presence to look at the accounting systems and maybe even um, approve or give advice to the, the, the organization. Um, so having a person as an external uh, advisor, plus having someone on the board that's got financial uh, experience and financial eyeballs to be able to interpret those. Usually nonprofit has a board member who's a treasurer and right. they're responsible for taking those printouts we get from uh, QuickBooks or whatever and interpreting them for the board members. So let's go back to the, the first part of this. What are the important, what's the importance of having someone like Steve Brightman? You're, you're a uh, licensed CPA. And, and you've had business experience and you build the chart of accounts and you build the financial budgets, the financial instruments from the strategic plan, as, as I recall, as we work together, what is it we're gonna do? What do we have to fund? And, and so talk about getting the right kind of advice and how does somebody qualify someone to work with them like you? Um, I think there's a couple pieces to this. Well, I think what one thing that's important, I think, is for for nonprofits to take on a an entrepreneurial view of things. So you're still working towards your your cause. I mean, you're still cause based, um, but at the same time, to me, what entrepreneurial view means is that um, in order to achieve your mission, you realize that. Sometimes you have to take calculated risks. Maybe you decide you want to start a new program, but you're not really sure, you know, if it's going to go or not, but it really fills a need that you see. So you, you do that because you have the backing to do it. It also means um, understanding that you surround yourself with um, good, qualified, creative people who collaborate and cooperate with each other. So it's not a competition. It's we're all working towards this cause. We all have ideas that we need, that we can contribute. Even a non-financial person can come up with some great financial ideas sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so starting with that is an, I think it's an important place because I've, I've served as a, a board member of a nonprofit nonprofits I've also had uh, nonprofits as clients. I have one right now in Denver. Um, and so the ones that I see that are most successful are the ones who, who kind of take this, this approach to business. They're curious. They want to try new things. And um, those are the ones that I see that are the most successful. And then part of my role is, of course, I'm part of the team that you create. Somebody like you is an expert in forming the board, attracting um, donations and creating the strategy. And I'm another member who can help you implement the strategy and know if you're going on the right path, if you're staying on the right path, at least in terms of the, the financial side of things. So it's not just any accountant who can fill the role. Um, somebody who also has, in addition to having that good, solid accounting base, somebody who's actually worked in business before and understands how business works. Um, perhaps they've maybe even worked in a nonprofit or at the very least served a nonprofit, either as a volunteer or as a board member or an advisor. So they understand how nonprofits work. Um, and once you have that set up, then part of what I'm doing is, um, how do I say this? 
running a nonprofit is very, very similar to running any other kind of business. Mm -hmm. So you, it's important to set up systems to track the things that are vital to um, your organization. Part of it, like you mentioned, might be cash flow. How do we know? Are we bringing in more money than we're spending? Are we spending the money according to our plan? Um, what things can we do to use our money more efficiently? And then there's also non-financial things that you want to track that affect the bottom line or affect your cause. Like how many volunteer hours do you have? Um, how many, uh, you know, how many, or what am I, I'm sorry, I'm getting tongue tied here, but there's a number of different, you know, both financial and and financial indicators that you want to, to, to track and then have the ability to understand how all those things work together to produce, you know, your bottom line and where you're going. That's well, the, the most important sound bites so far is how do you create systems that, that work together? Mm -hmm. In my world, we create the strategy and we bring the board members on and we empower the board, but they serve the strategy. You create a budget, but you spend a dollar, where is it on the strategy? You know, we've got targets, um, milestones that we're gonna reach. Those, those all have dollars attached to them. And so looking at where those dollars come from, you mentioned in that little explanation there, you mentioned cash flow. Now, I find that's, that's one of the, and I want to ask you what are some of the uh, financial concepts that are the hardest for leaders to get their head around. And, and I don't think it's specific to nonprofits, but let, we're, we're focusing on nonprofit leaders. And, and a lot of times the, the organizations tend to undervalue the, the financial reporting. They just want to know how much money is in the bank. And can we, can we make payroll? Can we do our next fundraiser? Right. Then installing really good. And the board is responsible for financial oversight. So how do we install good systems to monitor? So this, this, this elusive thing of cash flow is, is one thing I see causes problems. One is you have a large donation. So you've got this lump sum, this large amount of money. And we're, we're, we're burning money called the burn rate. Mm -hmm. And so part of understanding cash flow is, well, analysis. Where did it go? That's brake lights. Headlights are how long will this money last us before we run out? And right. so cash flow projection. Um, you know, we write a budget, but are we basing the sp expenditures on the cash on hand and when will it run out? And how do we create systems to replenish it before it runs out? So am I just babbling or is that, is that one of the... Uh, the big areas of blindness for, for nonprofits. I think there's a lot of, there, you, you mentioned like several different things. Um, <clears throat> and I think in my experience are important. And I, I think also have another thing to add to that. Um, certainly, you know, the whole important thing is to have clarity, clarity into the numbers because numbers are the language of business and even the non-financial things that you want to track are based on numbers. How many volunteers do you have? How many hours have they worked? Um, those are important things to know and to track. And so what I've found is, is that many of the nonprofits that I've worked with don't have that clarity. They don't know exactly where their money is being spent, especially when, <clears throat> um, you know, I have a client right now, a nonprofit client, um, they put on a, uh, about five different really big events each year. And before I started working with them, they really didn't know whether they were making money, losing money, breaking even on these events. And because, you know, they brought in money by people had to, some people paid admission, other people, they got uh, donations during the event. And so they, they had this blind spot. How do I know that, that what we're doing, uh, it's supposed to be our signature event, whether that's helping us to further our cause or not. So being able to track things like events, their profitability or programs, if you have individual programs that are kind of like separate business divisions, it's important to know, you know, are, are they, are they, 
making the money that you thought? Are they spending the money the way that you want them to? Um, so that's, that's an important piece. Um, you know, one other, another blind spot that I've also seen is being able to track, understand <clears throat> the money coming in. So most, most um, nonprofits that I've worked with don't have a CRM system. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if your audience knows what a CRM system is. It's, it's basically a system where you can track your leads, your sales leads. And, and in terms of, of um, nonprofits, it's potential donors. So you've made a contact with the person. They've said, you know, I really like, like what you're doing. I might want to give a, a donation sometime. And so by putting them in the CRM system, you're able to keep track of them and to know whether or not they've made a donation and make sure they don't get lost in the cracks. So most, most of the nonprofits I work with don't have that. So they don't really, other than maybe on a napkin or on a spreadsheet, they don't know who's sitting out there who might be interested in giving money. Um, and, and then the other piece that's missing is let's say I met you today at an event and I said, Hugh, I really like your nonprofit and um, you know, I'd like to give you a $500, but I can't write you a check today. Okay, but I've, I've committed, I'm gonna give you a piece of paper that says, I'm committed to giving you $500. And so at that point, in my view of things, you put, put that into your accounting system as a, a receivable, meaning money that's due from somebody. I've said I'm gonna do it. Um, and, and if you put it in there, now you have a record that says Steve Reitman says he's gonna give $500. And now you know if I don't send you a check in two weeks that you probably should give me a call. Maybe I forgot. Um, and, and so that's what I'm working with the same client is trying to get their system more clean so we know who's committed and who's not committed. And in their case, they also have memberships. So every year they have re people who renew. So this is one way we can track to see, okay, who's not paid their renewal memberships yet? Is it because they forgot or because they decided not to renew? And if they decided not to renew, maybe we need to go talk to them and understand why they decided not to renew. So those are the kind of two big areas. The, um, the CRM system, um, contact management system is both proactive for prospects, but it's also um, responsive. Who yes. donated and how do we stay in touch with them? Exactly. Our uh, sponsor for this, this episode of Nonprofit Exchange is uh, WordSprint and they do mail mail. Uh, email gets lost, but they put something in, in the hands of your donors and for two decades, they've seen donations go up with all the nonprofits they work for. And so we tend to thank people, send them a little note and thank you for the donation. The next time they hear from us is when we want more money. Instead of us telling them all the good things that are happening in between. And, and, and so I agree with you. We see lots and lots of charities that don't have um, any kind of contact management system at all. And so it's, it's staying in touch with the people who could donate and then telling the people who donated what's, what's been happening. That's a little bit about your cash flow analysis. This is where we spent the money. The people give to impact. They want to know what's happened as a result of their money. So that's a, uh, yeah, I appreciate you bringing up. That's a, that's a really big one. So, so are there more, some people think that, that all of these numbers are smoke and mirrors and they don't get it. So they tend to ignore it and then it hurts. So what are some of the other concepts besides cash flow that are really hard? For people to understand? Um, phew, that's a good question. Because um, we already talked about the, the, the receivable side, the donation side. You know, I think that, that's, you know, just I guess to reemphasize on the donation side, it's important to, as we said, to have a system so that you can track who's interested in giving, make sure that they, you know, if they really truly are interested, that they 
they that they follow through um and you know another um so part of you know part of what i what i try to do in in working with clients is i understand that everybody has different levels of expertise when it comes to numbers and finances and not only that but people have different preferences about about how they think about things now me i'm kind of like a logical kind of a person and so for me looking at the numbers is pretty easy but other people are more oriented towards maybe relationships with other people or maybe they're um, like executive directors of, of nonprofits and they usually tend to be more visionary thinking about the big picture and how do I make things happen and 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 then there's other people who are like into processes like how do I how do I do this what are the steps for doing this and those people things that are obvious to me when it comes to numbers it's not as obvious to them so part of what's really important when you have it is in building your team is to have all these different kinds of people on your team because they all see it in different ways and then making sure that you're able to communicate the numbers to those people in ways that they can understand it you know some people like charts pictures some people like to see a row of numbers some people like to hear you say it and speak it some people like to see it in writing and then you look like you want to jump in and say something Hugh. yeah um, <laughs> looking at um, you know you show up and you and you pass out the financials at a board meeting so there's right. a profit, there's a PL mm -hmm. and then a balance sheet income statement a balance sheet and so we want to see this profit thing on the PL. you know it's profit and loss you know income statement what is what is the money left over? And neither one of these talk about the cash flow, but these right. give you a picture. And so, what kinds of things um, should people be looking for? You look at a, at, a, at an income statement, and people just look. Okay, we got this much left over. Okay, boom. Um, could, should we be looking at the percentage of expenses? Uh, should we be looking at the, the relative percentage of different line items there? And I guess a lot of this is how, and this is this is why somebody needs a person like you, how the chart of accounts is laid out and how it shows up on these reports. And, and so give us just a, like, what are the top three things for, for us to look at in, in, a, in an income statement and a balance sheet? Those two go together. Right. So I want to say one thing first, and part of that is it's important to have, be able to put your numbers in context. So if I look at an income statement and it says, I made a profit of $50,000, how do I know if that's good or not? I mean, it's $50,000 seems like a big number, but what happens if the, the plan, the, the plan that I had made with Hugh, we created this strategic plan, what if we were supposed to make $100,000 this month? Hmm. Well, the 50,000, it's great that we made a profit, but we didn't do as well as we wanted to. Um, so part of it is always trying to put numbers in context because when you just put a number in front of you, it doesn't have much meaning. I mean, you know if it's positive, it's probably good. You know if it's negative, it's probably bad, but that's not always the case. And you also don't know how good or how bad that is. So being able to compare things to things like your budget mm -hmm. is important being able to compare things to how you've done in the past is this an improvement am I doing better this year than I did last year so that's important and I also know that for some um, for some nonprofits or some even for-profits that there are organizations out there that gather financial data and can give you maybe benchmarks for somebody in your industry. So you can look to see how other, other nonprofits who do something similar to what you do are also doing financially. So that's a way to compare it. So let's go back to this benchmark. Mm -hmm. um, there are, when I, early, one of my careers was running a retail camera store. 
Mm -hmm. and I belonged to a trade association and we could buy reports and they would group financial statements by region, by volume, and by, by you know, particular specialty. Mm -hmm. so there was a certain amount of, of uh, cost of goods sold. There was a certain amount that was normal for gross profit and there was a certain amount that was normal for net profit. Right. And oddly enough, the larger the business and the more Northeast they were, the smaller those numbers were. So it was kind of like the grocery store makes less uh, margin, but they turn it over more frequently. Right. Um, now we don't have, unless you're running a thrift store um, and you don't have any cost of goods sold. So that this doesn't apply. We don't really need to think about turnover, but we need to think about cash flow. And, and so looking at those statements, um, how do we in the nonprofit world know that what percentage ought to be salary? And one of the things donors look at, and there's a lot of a difference opinion on this, is overhead. I'm giving yeah. you a dollar, how much that dollar is gonna pay for overhead? Right. Now, interpreting overhead, and I don't know that I've, I know anybody that, and you may have, created a system where nonprofits can report overhead. Now, CenterVision, for instance, 100% of our work is overhead. Well, 100% of our work benefits other people. So the overhead in this instance is really the work that we're doing. It's passing through that money and giving people in-kind uh, donations. So really, the overhead is either 100% or zero. It's all in how you show it on your financials. And, and so talk about how do we, how do we understand those? Now, a church would be different than a community-based charity, would be different than a community foundation. Um, a membership organization like here on the board of the BBB, a chamber of commerce, that would even be different. So how do we go and find out what are typical um, um, salary levels? What percentage should salaries be? Which percent should rent be? You know, those normal things. That there are benchmarks for an industry standard, what they ought to be, or am I all wet? No, I think you've got some good, you raised some good questions. I think one thing that's, that's common for, for all, basically, well, most all nonprofits, is that you have three broad categories of costs. You have what I call program costs, meaning you're spending money to do whatever your vision is, whatever your nonprofit's about. And that's the, that's the part that donors and potential donors want to know that you're spending a lot more of the vast majority of your money in that area because that's what you're about then you have fundraising costs so in order to raise money whether it's a donation or a grant or some other things you actually have to spend money to make money so we want to know how much it's how much we're spending to make money and how effective we are in in soliciting donations and grants. And then the other last part is what you were talking about, Hugh, which is the overhead. So there's some basic costs that every nonprofit, every business has to incur in order just to keep the doors open. It's not, uh, it's not directly about the programs. Like you, if you have an office building, you have to pay rent on that. You have office supplies, you have internet and, and, and then you have, um, uh, some employees that are not going to do programs. You might have like an office manager who's just managing the business side of things. So it's really important to have a system um, mm -hmm. so that you can track each of those different categories. You know, the, the, the rule of thumb that I've heard about, um, you know, spending money on your programs is that you want to be spending 80 to 90% of your money on programs. So uh, that's, you have to be able to track that to be able to show people. Um, on the overhead side, I think, you know, it's hard to say that there's a rule of thumb about things because um, things like rent, it depends on where you are. A, a rent in New York City is going to be different than rent in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, so part of what part of your costs are determined by your location and the cost of living. So I think it's important for you to know wherever your location is, whether what you're spending is reasonable for that area. Um, 
And the same thing with salaries too, is, um, you know, you want to hire the best people for the job. And, um, and so in order to attract the best people for the job, you have to pay competitive salaries. Now, one advantage that nonprofits have is that they're cause-based and that people, most, you know, most of the people who work for nonprofits do so because they want to, because they want to help with that cause. And so they're willing maybe to take a little bit less money because their work has more meaning for them by doing that. Um, so I think it's important to, um, there's all kinds of, of uh, uh, resources now on the internet where you can find out what, you know, what, what different, uh, what the salaries are for different positions. There's also nonprofit organizations that track those kinds of things. They could tell you, what do you normally pay for, uh, you know, a fundraiser? What do you normally pay for a grant writer in, in your location? So you can use those as guidelines as to what people, you know, on average are paying. And then, you know, you have to decide as a business decision, do you want to pay, are you willing to pay a little more than the average to get somebody? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's both using those resources, especially with the internet. There's so much out there now that you can get for free or virtually free. I want to talk about bookkeeping online, but before we do that, um, there's this fallacy that we, we, we're nonprofits, so we go to this scarcity thinking. Right. Rather than having an abundance mentality. So we think we can't spend money on marketing. And we think, and you just alluded to this, we can't pay people a decent salary. So we ask people to do a whole lot of work for very little pay. And therefore, the burnout rate of nonprofits is almost 50%. Right. And that's the ones that admit it. So there's there's um, there's this reciprocity. We want to treat people fairly so they don't have to go and stand in line for food stamps just to work for us. And and so there's there's a different mindset. So the part of the underlying message today of what I'm hearing you raising the question about is is our mindset. Mm -hmm. uh, understanding the rubrics of business and installing those into your 501c3 and then modifying the application based on the fact that we are a tax exempt organization and the board has the board's responsible for the money so right. they've got to be educated and knowing what's going on with the numbers especially this there's there's a lot of of theft that happens in the numbers people take money from nonprofits believe it or not churches and nonprofits um, because we let down our guard. We don't have uh, approval processes for checks. We don't have oversight on the bank account. Somebody's who requests the check is different than the person that signs the check. And the person it's made out to is not signing the check to themselves. So we fail to put some of those safeguards in place. So having really good financial reporting lets the board get their head around this and sends up so are there some signs that you've seen that something fishy is going on with the money? Is there something that, that people could look for in the financials? Um, and I don't know the answer to this. I'm just wondering as we're talking here, is it, you know, if you're, if the board's really active and they're looking at financials, how do they, how do they make sure that everything's kosher? Um, well, I personally have not had the experience of finding somebody who is embezzling money. Um, but I've, certainly read quite a few articles in the paper uh, mm -hmm. where that's happened. Mm -hmm. And every time I read it, you know, I keep reading and reading, okay, so how did this happen? And then I get to this point in the article and I know, okay, well, that's why it happened. Like somebody was, like you said, they were, the, the same person was writing the checks and signing the checks. And so they were writing checks to somebody, a, 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 a fake, fictitious vendor, which was really, and then they were cashing it into their own personal bank account kind of thing. So it's a, it's a part of uh, what's really good about nonprofits is they have lots of oversight. So you have, you typically, you have the board of directors. Um, you also may have a finance committee You've got the executive director. 
So you have a lot of different layers of people who, who are looking at it. And it's important to, like you said, to put in the right controls and to look at things. So part of what I do when I review the books for clients is I'm looking to see if I can see anything that's unusual. Um, maybe an expense is really high this month or maybe it's, it's really low or maybe I've got see some, uh, some large checks written to a new vendor this month that I've not heard of. So, you know, they all may have perfectly plausible, reasonable explanations, but they raise questions. So you got to follow through and do the investigation. Um, well, your, your program, and I've been using QuickBooks because I don't know of anything else. Yep. And you've been telling me for years to go online, which I finally did. So now my CPA can log on and fix things and make those end of the year adjustments that need to be made without me having to figure out how to do it in QuickBooks. And it doesn't matter if I'm on a Mac and they're on a PC, they can still log in and do the, do the work. And, uh, and the, the numbers transfer automatically from credit cards and bank accounts, mm -hmm. which it works a lot better online. Uh, is there any reason for people to stay with the traditional uh, laptop uh, QuickBooks or personal computer QuickBooks rather than going online? Well, there's two different ways you can go online. Um, one is doing what you just said, is that QuickBooks has an actual web-based software that you can subscribe to and use. Um, I have some clients who use that. I also have a lot of clients who have the traditional QuickBooks, but it's hosted on a server in the cloud. And we access it in the same way that we might access QuickBooks online. So it's secure because it's in the cloud. Somebody's backing it up. Somebody's watching it. And you get all the benefits of having the desktop version because it's very different than the online version. So depending upon what it is you want to do, one software might be better for you than the other. Um, but, you know, I think that it's important to, you know, for security's sake, for safety's sake, that you always want to have your, your, your books in some place that's safe, whether it's your own server that you've got your own IT people watching after, or it's like you have an online version or it's on somebody else's server in the cloud, probably having it on your laptop in your office is not the most secure. I had a client several years ago that did that and his laptop got stolen out of his car. Oh my word. Right. And lucky for him, he had, he had a backup. Wasn't a recent one, but he had a backup. So we were able to recover it and, and recover what he had and then, you know, work forward from that. But, you know, could have been worse. Well, yes, security is a big issue and having some yep. safeguards, safeguards in place. Um, so there, there's, um, we're going back to talking about the board of directors being the board of directors, mm -hmm. being educated and being involved. And the, the whole process of understanding that everybody is responsible for the, the money, getting the money and over, overseeing how the money is spent. And so that's, so what's of the boards that you've served on or worked with, what's the biggest gap in understanding that you think boards need to close? Um, you know, I, you know, the boards that I've been on are, you know, for small and medium-sized nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And so the kind of people who are on the board are not, you know, if you like work for um, like Red Cross, okay, the people who are on the board of Red Cross are going to be um, high-powered, you know, knowledgeable business people who may have been CEOs of their own companies. When we talking about smaller nonprofits, um, while you, the people may be very highly educated and intelligent, they may not have the same kind of business acumen that somebody that a board member on a larger uh, nonprofit might have. 
So part of it is helping them to understand their role when it comes to the finances and what their fiduciary responsibility is and how they should be working with the, the, uh, the CEO, the executive director, um, because many of some of those uh, board members may also, this might be their first time they were ever on a board. And so they may not know exactly how they're supposed to interact with the, with the CEO. And, um, you know, some people think they should be micromanaging them, which is not what we want. It's more of a, an advisory and oversight role. And, and so part of it, I think, is having maybe some kind of um, training uh, for new board members and even existing board members. So they understand what their role is and how they work with the CEO and how they work with the CFO and how they work with all the other people in the organization. So I understand that's part of what you do. It is, it is. And I think it's probably part of what you and I both do. And your business is called Mindful Business Solutions. It is. How did you, how did you um, decide on that for a name? That's a good brand. Well, um, it's kind of a combination of how I both approach business and how I approach my life. Um, I want to make decisions consciously. Um, I see a lot of business people who make decisions based upon emo purely on emotion or knee jerk based upon what's going on in the moment, um, or purely sometimes on intuition. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I like to do is to, part of it is separating from that, separating from the emotion, separating. Yes, there's times for intuition, but I think it's important to first come to this place where you're as objective as you can be and, and make your decision from that place rather than being ruled by maybe you're mad or you're sad or what, whatever's going on in the moment. So part of it has to do with that, how you make decisions, um, how you work with your people. I like to be collaborative and cooperative. Um, and part of it also has to do with um, creating clarity in the business itself. And what I do, it's creating clarity in the numbers, understanding what numbers you should be looking at, um, understanding how, what they mean, and then how you use them to, to grow the business. Um, and I've just found that taking that approach um, provides longer lasting results than doing it a different way. That's great. Mindful Business Solutions, Inc., inc.com. Um, Steve Brightman, you'll find Steve there. That's his business. Is, and we're, in, we're coming down to the last uh, minutes of our interview, Steve. Um, I'm going to do a sponsor moment and then give you the the chance to leave a tip or a closing thought in people's minds. Uh, Steve Reitman is in Denver, Colorado, Mile High City, and um, you work with people local and you work with people around the country. Um, so people can find you in Mindful, Mindful Business Inc., right? Yes, Mindful Business Inc. So Sarah, before I go to the, the sponsor message, is there something I didn't ask you that I should have asked you so far? We've covered quite a bit. I, I think, you know, I guess the big takeaway is, um, you know, build, build the business for the long term. Build the business so that you can have your uh, mission have lasting effects that go beyond next year, beyond even maybe as long as you're going to work there. And that's part of that is by building a strong financial foundation to help make it last. We give you a chance to come back to that and give people some ideas of thinking about what are like the top two or three things they ought to be doing financially. Let me talk about, we do these free things like the, uh, the webinars, um, these podcasts, the, we make the magazine free online because we have sponsors like Word Sprint, Word Sprint, like fast. WordSprint.com, Bill Gilmer and his team actually help you stay in touch with your tribe. So you'll need that CRM list and it's a, it's a software that you can sort people by how much they donated, how often they donated. Uh, you can even put your volunteers and board members in there. 
So how do we classify people and how do we stay in touch? It's called top of mind marketing. And what Bill teaches you is 30% is the message. You want to tell people what's happened with their money. What's the impact? Number two, the right person, the right message to the right person. You want to make sure that you've kept the list up to date. So if you're sending it to XYZ company, to some person, that that person is still there. And that person, in fact, is the decision maker. And three, the rhythm. You don't want to send it just at the end of the year when you're asking for money. You want to send it throughout the year. So 30% the right message, 30% the right person, 30% a rhythm that they they see your name, they see what you're doing, they understand what's going on. Then you ask for money. And only 10% of it is the appearance. If we spend if we spend too much on appearance, it's really counterproductive because people think, oh, they're wasting my money with these fancy mailers. Right. Um, but it needs to look good, clean, well designed, but not expensive. Right. So Steve Brightman, it's wordspread.com and I encourage you to go there and ask for a free consultation on how you can raise the income level of your nonprofit in this one area, stand in touch with people that are your supporters, that's your tribe. So you get one more shot at, at folks, Steve. You talked about build for the long, long term. So give us a couple of ideas on what we need to think about in order to do that. Um, create a strategy, um, uh, important strategy. Uh, translate that strategy into numbers so that you can actually track your strategy to make sure you're staying on track and uh, be creative in, in how you uh, report, you know, to yourselves and to your team. There's lots of things that are important to keep track of. So be creative in what you look at and how you present it, whether it's a, a chart or some numbers or a dashboard or a report. Um, do that. Love it, love it. And I will mention, you mentioned those in order. If, you, if you're gonna build a budget, you need to know what you're building it for. So the strategy comes first. This is what we wanna accomplish. This is what it's gonna cost. Then you can come in, create the financials for that, including the budget, how are you gonna go? So uh, we agree on that. And um, Steve, it's been great being reconnected. And uh, I've got a few people to introduce you to um, in the next few weeks. So you'll be hearing from me again. Steve, okay. Steve Brightman, thank you for sharing your wisdom with our audience today on the non Thank you. It was fun. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.